My conversation today is with author, astrologer, practitioner, and instructor, Christopher Warnock. Specializing in traditional Renaissance astrology and astrological magic, Christopher's work over the past two and a half decades, which includes astrological magical treatises, instructional manuals, histories, translations, and more, has been massively influential to the occult, magical, and astrological communities. In a lineup of heavyweights in the field, Chris is indispensable and will likely rank among the annals of the great astrologers and magicians of the postmodern age. Yet, his approach to these subjects is one which challenges many current paradigms. We sat down to talk about the postmodern worldview versus the traditional medieval and renaissance, or magical worldviews, serious astrological praxis, and much more throughout a brilliant and at times challenging conversation. Chris is part scholar, part poet, part community elder, and his shining insights serve as a guiding star pointing to an astrological and magical true north. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. You know... I grew up in a very, you know, middle class suburban background and and I would describe it as, you know, classic, you know, mid-America. Um, you know, I would have called myself an agnostic, right? I mean, my parents they went to church, but they also I had a discussion with them at one point and I said, "What well, what do you go to church?" And they're like, "Well, you know, to be part of the community and, you know." And I said, "Do you talk to God?" And they just like, eh. you know, just thought that was kind of insane. So, that was kind of the background that I came out of and you know, so coming out of basically an atheistic materialistic background, and I went to uh, undergraduate. I was an undergraduate first in the U.S. and then in Scotland. I spent three years in Scotland at the University of St Andrews and graduated there. Then I went to law school in Ann Arbor, the University of Michigan, and then we were kind of prepped to go to either a big law firm in New York or Washington D.C. So I ended up in Washington D.C. And then I sort of spontaneously became a spiritual seeker. And so the spiritual seeker is that sort of stage where there's this, we have this incredible sort of buffet of choices of what you can study, you know, as you're saying with esoteric stuff or spiritual things, there's an incredible amount of things you can do. So I just started, you know, reading books and, you know, doing the armchair sort of thing and just sort of sampling what was available. And as part of that process, I kind of stumbled across modern astrology. So people like Liz Green or Dane Rudyard, people like that. Which it was interesting, but it just didn't. It seemed it was almost like a fog. I mean, the more you get into it, the more the detail. It just didn't seem to have the. It just didn't quite click with me. Then I discovered um, uh, medieval Renaissance astrology, um, and that, in particular, horary astrology, and that really clicked with me. So I started studying that, and uh, first with Carol Wiggers, and then Lee Lehman, who still is teaching um, all sorts of different kinds of. Of uh, astrology, uh, in the, you know, in, in the medieval Renaissance style, and then electional. So electional is helping you choose times to do things. Horary is use a chart of a question, um, and then electional led me to astrological magic because you need to do astro uh, elections for astrological magic. So that's that's basically it. So you have these practical spiritual applications, right? Which is one way astrology can be used. Uh, and then intertwined with the sort of overall sort of spiritual seeking that I went on. And so that was also a period where I got, uh, I was initiated as a Darvish and a Sufi, uh, uh, Iranian Shia Sufi Tariqa order. So that was kind of set that off. 
that was my first like really more deep, you know, immersion. And so this is kind of a, a, a process that's going along simultaneously. So what, what p- other people would consider spiritual, which would be, like I said, the Sufi stuff, which later Buddhism, Zen, I got into, but also the astrology and astrological magic, which are really practical applications of spiritual. And so that's, um, those have always really been intertwined. So that's what I would say about it. And the astrology, what's interesting about, it, like I said, is it's a practical application. So you can actually do stuff with it. Well, you can uh, passively sort of predict with it, watch this, the, you know, the, the, the unfolding of these cycles, or you can actually with astrological magic then take action. And, you know, it, it, people, I, I kind of, I'm skeptical of people are, think that they know exactly what happens with the, the magical stuff, but definitely there does seem to be the effects that are, that result from it. So that, that's basically, that's sort of my, my, in a, in a, as you say, in a bullet point sort of thing, that's how I got interested in, 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 in medieval Renaissance astrology. So I want to make the point too, that there's no astrology any more than this. Like you said, oh, all you Middle Easterners, you're all the same. You're all Middle Easterners. It's like, whoa, there's a big difference between somebody living in Jordan or who's an Israeli citizen or who's a Palestinian. Those are not, you can't really put those together and just say Middle Easterner, you're losing a lot of nuance. Same sort of thing. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the same sort of thing with astrology. If you say astrology in general, what people generally mean by that is modern astrology, which is its own school. So that's one of the key things is that I that I'm a medieval Renaissance astrologer, and so that has its own. It's a, it's a different school, um, and there's commonalities, but there's a lot of differences too. Uh, particularly, we'll get this eventually with with worldview and, and people's approach to the causality. Well, that was kind of my next question. Uh, you know, it, it, within what you do, uh, medieval and Renaissance astrology, how important is it is understanding the Renaissance or medieval, I guess, uh, worldview to, to being able to do astrological magic of, of your tradition or interpretations? I would say that it's impossible to practice effectively any kind of, you know, magic or astrology if you're coming from a modern worldview, if you're coming from an atheistic materialistic worldview. So if you pull back from that, what do I mean by worldview? Because the worldview is essentially your conscious view of reality, your conscious philosophy, and then your unconscious assumptions about the nature of reality. And so this is something that is not apparent to most people. I mean, it took me, it was a huge struggle for me to even realize that there was such a thing that I even had a worldview because reality is reality. I mean, and if someone doesn't share your reality, they're just insane. I mean, this is not, it's not a, it's not a question of choice. It's not a question of perspective. It's just a question of there's reality and we know what reality is and reality is right. And if you don't follow that, you are, you need to be in an insane asylum. And so the idea that, or what you can do is play with it conceptually. That's what, if you're a philosophy professor, that's what a modern philosophy professor does. They play with, it's, they play mind games. We know what reality is. We know reality is only matter and energy. We know there's nothing spiritual. There's no God, none of that stuff. That's all garbage. But we'll play with it. We'll we'll play some mind games, and then what happens is the the sort of standard. So so let's just talk about worldview. The modern worldview is that nothing really exists except matter and energy, okay? And me- equal MC squared. They're the same thing. And so if you say spiritual, you mean psychological, right? And if you say psychology, you mean brain function, right? And if you mean brain function, it's electrochemical impulses, which are atoms, which are subatomic particles, which randomly hit together. And that's that's reality. That's all there is. So God, um, I mean, you can believe in God. That's okay. 
you have the, 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 the big religions have a special dispensation that they're allowed to be crazy on the weekend, believe in God, but we know that they otherwise surrender that reality is determined by the, the scientists. It's in, in atheistic materialism, you know, that there's, like I said, nothing but matter and energy. So that's everybody's bread. That's the fish, you know, for fish that we swim in, that's the ocean we swim in, is that that's all that exists. So the way the sort of new age stuff works is that we unconsciously understand there's nothing except matter and energy, but we still do astrology and magic. And so there's a lot of people that sincerely believe that astrology and magic is magnetism. You know, it's sunspots, it's quantum mechanics, it's string theory, and or it's energy. So it's not detectable electro. This is a little more sophisticated view. It's not detectable electromagnetic stuff, but it, it's basically the same thing. And so that's how it works. And you know, for example, you look at your chart. Saturn's in the seventh house, right? Saturn's afflicted. Relationships are seventh house. Saturn is beaming some energy at you, and it's messing up your relationships. So what you need to do is to deal with Saturn. You need a shield or some kind of thing. Or if he's transiting, he's in that house. So he's zapping energy. Again, it's an energy-based sort of thing. And it's, you can read it like it's like an MRI or something. You can look at that and you can figure it out. And it's easy to, easy to see the problem and easy to see the solution because it's this energetic direct causality. And so that is, I mean, even if people say that they don't have that view, that's the view they have. I mean, this is the thing. And that's, that's the real mind game here is that a lot of this is unconscious. And so it's really hard to, to, to and, and so one of the things that was great about astrology was like horror astrology, it's bizarre because you can sort of see how you take a natal chart and like I said, the position of the planets at the time of your birth, it had some kind of energetic thing. It leaves a signature. It causes your something or other, whatever, something like that. Horary, someone asks a question, a serious question, and then you look at the chart of the question, right? And the, and the I use the astrologer's location too. I don't use the person's location. I use the astrologer's location. And I can get a very accurate answer to their question from that chart. Now, how does that work with energy? It's like, whoa. So I did about 400 of those charts and they worked and I'm like, it started to bust everything up. And so that's the, that was really the effect for me of the astrology was that, yes, it was cool for prediction, but the bigger thing that was cool about it was it exploded the atheistic materialism for me. It really helped with that process. Now, my wife is like, I think like a significant number of people, she's a natural animist, right? I mean, to her, everything is alive. You know, that's her natural approach to things. And that's where I'm at now, right? I mean, we have like Shinto, because I was in, I did a lot of Japanese stuff. Um, we have like, um, you know, to me, like I said, this, every like a rock, a tree, whatever, it has, it's alive. You know, this is like, there's a being there. I was today talking to a cricket. It was, I was taking a walk and he was walking around and I was talking to him. And it's like, yeah, crazy old man talking to, you know, talking to crickets. But it's like, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the where I'm at. And what I have with that is I have the ability to actually go and give you this complicated philosophical explanation of that. But that's a natural sort of approach for a lot of people. What's sad about nowadays is that atheistic materialism basically leads to nihilism. I mean, if there's nothing but matter and energy, then everything's random and everything's meaningless. And this idea that, oh, you can make your own meaning, it's like, no, you can't. Because if it doesn't, nothing's inherently meaningful, then you can't create meaning out of it. That's a, that's a half-assed answer to that. And this is what a lot, I look at like the opioid epidemic, all that stuff. They say, oh, economic disparity. It's despair is coming from this lack of meaning because the society has deprived people of any base. Now, people have it internally. A lot of people find meaning or have it instinctively. But the philosophy that you get 
is atheistic materialism. So you don't have any kind of explanation of it. If you turn to the experts, here, have a pill. That's the solution. If you know, if you have meaningless, then we need to adjust your brain chemistry because that's what emotions are anyway. It's just brain chemistry. So let's just give you some pills. So like I said, this is the underlying problem. This is the biggest thing. And this is the biggest roadblock to doing. And it's, it's bizarre to me. Like, for example, let me give it. Here's a good thing for people. If you find, if it's, someone talks about sidereal zodiac and you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's the one I should go for. That's logical because it corresponds to the actual stars. There you go. There you go. You're an atheistic materialist, which is not bad. It's not like you're a communist. It doesn't mean you're, you're the devil. It's just important to understand where you're coming from. Because I have a lot of people say, I'm not an atheistic materialist because that sounds bad. That sounds like that's an evil thing to be. It sounds like I don't want to be that. And I'm like, it's fine. It's nothing wrong with that. The problem is not recognizing what your view of reality is. I mean, you have the atheists and they're like, they're not, they're going crazy because they're like, everybody knows this is all fake, right? That all this stuff is bullshit. And yet they still like believe in God. I mean, that's would be, it would be very frustrating to be an atheist in that sense, because they, they're in line with the, with the worldview and they have a coherent, internally consistent philosophy, like more or less. And so, but everybody else is like, yeah, I believe in God and there's nothing but matter and energy. So it's like, whoa. I mean, there's a lot of really Baroque, strange, contradictory stuff that goes on with that. And that's how people do, that's why like I said, the magical stuff, energy, all that kind of thing is all kind of stemming from that, from that view. So that's what I would say is that if you really want to be, because if, you, if your automatic assumptions are coming from an atheistic materialistic standpoint and you're trying to do magic or astrology, you're going to wrong foot yourself constantly. You're always going to be having, your instinctual reaction is always going to be off and it's going to make it extremely difficult. Plus, you're going to doubt it. In your heart of hearts, you don't really believe in the stuff. And that's not helpful. That's, that's problematic. And that, that's the placebo effect, which is what they love to call it placebo. I'm like, that's basically this incredible, powerful magic that comes from trust, that comes from belief, right? And so you can do amazing things with, with that as a, in, in terms of healing. It's, not, it's like magic. It's not always predictable. But you know, that's, you know, that you're blocking that. Or it's like think of your Olympic, your Olympic athlete, and you know you're going to fail at the in the in the in the hundred meter. How are you going to be able to do it? So while while magic is not based on faith, hundred percent. If you don't believe in it, it it messes you up to a certain extent. Um, so so there's like I said, a lot of problems with that. And um, but I don't want to take this as it was a real struggle for me to step away from. The atheistic materialism because it just it's like a it's like a it's like a black hole it sucks everybody's thinking it's so powerful it's extremely hard to escape from the orbit of it and you don't necessarily have to either i mean like i said it's not like oh it's you got to do this this is the good thing to do but it's a little irrational to be doing magic and yet have this underlying assumption that it can't the magic can't work because you know whatever so that, that's what i would say about it is that we could spend 100 years talking about worldview but that's, I think, the absolute bedrock and the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle that, that we're facing now, because we've got to a point where we've gotten beyond sun sign astrology, right? To the point where people are relatively sophisticated about understanding various techniques. And so, um, but the problem is, is that to really get advanced at it, to be a master, you can't disbelieve in it. And so that's, I think, same thing with magic. You know, it's, it's like you, you, if you don't think it really can work, you know, and your philosophical basis is messed up, then, you know, that's, that's going to block you continuously. 
Yeah, I find that contamination in uh there you know obviously there's been a, a huge explosion in uh, I guess academic erudition uh regarding magic and and some of that stuff's been pretty good in the way of translations but um a lot of it is taking this kind of like dissectional approach to to specifically western occultism astrology things like that they want to study um all of the exterior trappings and kind of uh negate um they just kind of not even look at the the subjective experience of you know the, the subjective component is so so prevalent in um in things like magic things like you know i i practiced i've been practicing for for almost 20 years uh one form or another and it, the first lesson for me was you know obviously as you're saying unlearning these completely almost completely unconscious sort of perspective lenses that we we have kind of built into us but um are, are you seeing a a change in that in terms of like the you know the astrological community i know a lot of it's focused on hellenistic astrology is big now i mean what are your thoughts on uh, on that in relation to what you do the again you know what passes for Hellenistic astrology is a sort of grab bag of techniques that are pulled out. I mean, what modern astrology does is that, and again, I don't want to be too pejorative about it because I like modern astrology. I have, I do natal and I do a psychological reading and I'm probably one of the best things I'm best at. So I'm not by any means, uh, but it's sort of like a chocolate or ice cream kind of thing. It's a preference thing. And we all, ha I have a preference for the way I do things and for this, my school. But that's all it is. It's like I like the Hawkeyes, right? So if you're from Iowa State, then you're going to like the Cyclones, you know. And for me, saying "oh, I like the Hawkeyes" doesn't mean that that's objectively the best. You know what I'm saying? So as I go through this, I'm going to sound a little bit like I'm down on modern, and it's like that's everyone that should be taken as it's a preference thing. And so it's a school, it's a valid school. But anyhow, the way the modern astrology works is that you look out at everybody else's school, and it's a big pile of techniques. It's like a big, you know, like a garbage heap of stuff. And you just rummage through it and you just pull out stuff at random. It's like Tinker Toys and you can stick everything together. And that's how you create your own unique thing that's the same as everybody else doing it. And um, so Hellenistic is a useful way to pull pieces out and you pull out a couple techniques and voila, you're a Hellenistic astrologer. And so, you know, if you look at the, the stuff that I, and I wish I never started using Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, I use them like fixed stars. So I have an extremely limited use of them. They have like a little, they're like a sensitive point, maybe like, maybe like a, um, a Arabic part. I don't use them in the planetary hour system. I don't use them in the central dignity system. They don't rule signs. I don't do aspects with them. I, but I wish I hadn't done them because it sort of people say, well, you use them, you're messing it up. But otherwise, my technique is, you know, 100% following what Lily would have done in 1647, right? And not only that, but I have the same worldview that he does. And so, and that's typical of horary. If you look at, a, if you go to a horary astrologer that's in the QHP school and the Olivia Barkey school, um, they're going to have a commonality with everybody else. And they're, again, like I said, their technique is going to be 95% coming out of that medieval Renaissance technique. Okay. If you look at someone who calls himself a Hellenistic astrologer, it's going to be, you know, 25% Hellenistic techniques mixed in. And the underlying philosophy is going to be modern right? Atheistic materialism unconsciously, and then they're going to be doing it that way. So that's what I'm saying. People like, I mean, like if horses became popular, I'm a horse, right? I mean, it's just like, cause I like that. I mean, or I'm a cowboy. I'm a cowboy. How are you a cowboy? Well, I like cowboys. I'm into cowboys. I'm a spiritual cowboy. 
right? I don't have a hat. I don't have a, I don't have a cow. I don't have a horse or anything, but I'm a cowboy. Don't you say I'm not a cowboy because I get to call myself what I want. So that's what I would say about it is it's all, it's all modern, right? And mm -hmm. the Hellenistic, the problem with, you know, Schmidt who started it, uh, Rob Schmidt was that he refused to do any practical astrology. He wanted to be an academic. And so he did all this translation and stuff, but he's like, my students will do this stuff. And then nobody really took him up on it. And mm -hmm. so, and the people that do build themselves as Hellenistic astrologers have a very heavy modern component of their practice. And they're based, and again, their causality, if you push them on the causality, they're going to be talking about energy, you know? And so that's really, that's the problem I would say with it. Even with people doing horary though, if you ask them about the causality, they're going to talk about energy. I don't know how that works with horary, but see, this is the problem is that this is not a lot of people, the astrologers, when I started doing, astro this is like 98. 1998, which is, you know, before probably people are born who are watching this, um, you know, the, the, the traditional, you used to call it traditional, but you say the medieval Renaissance astrologers, they didn't want to touch astrological magic with a 10 foot pole. No way. No way. It's too freaky. It's like bad spirit, you know, demons and stuff. And, you know, the magical stuff is making them look bad too. I mean, they're trying to get scientific, you know, trying to get, you know, insurance reimbursement for counseling. You know, they want to be legit. Right. And the magical stuff is just looking bad. That's what's cool now is that a lot of people, particularly younger people, I can say that because I'm 60, um, you know, they're they're like cool magic. Great. But that was not how, you know, how I had a, a, a tough time, you know, doing that stuff when it first started out. But it's 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 become attractive to people now, which I think is really cool. So there's that change. I do see some loosening up. I see the sort of like it's hard, though, because. You cannot publish a peer-reviewed journal that says angels are real. If you try to put, if you try to write, say, "Yup, angels are definitely real," and here's the evidence for it, you would not be permitted to publish that because you're self-evidently insane, right? This is not true. And but we'll have the decency not to have the decency not to force us to do that. Okay, and that's what you know. You know, it's perfectly okay to be Catholic, you know. But I mean, the astrology stuff. I mean, I had, you know, I, I had. I'm a lawyer. That's my other career. I had the bar come after me on an ethics complaint because I am an astrologer. Okay. So, and after a long process, they said, okay, it's okay for you to do that as long as you keep them separate. They have to be absolutely, wow. totally walled separate. Okay. But will it is legitimate. But the higher you go up in the power structure in the elite, the less acceptable the stuff is. And I could never be a judge. I could never have any kind of position of authority or anything like that. It's impossible. I would just get ripped. Because wow. it's, it's it, I mean, and people go around, it's sort of like, it reminds me of like, I used to go to Ann Arbor and they had this like a hash bash, you know, and everyone would get high and people get arrested and they're like, but it's hash bash. It's like, it's still illegal, idiot. And that's the thing about astrology is it's still, it's still, and now it's not like the Catholic church. I mean, that's even more ridiculous if you think about it. Transubstantiation that the, you know, the, the spiritual essence of the host is transformed into the body of Christ. It's like, come on. You know, astrology is just like, you know, the, the planets have some kind of cyclical, you know, relationship to earthly events. That doesn't seem too crazy. But the Catholics have a better lobby and astrologers don't have a lobby. Now, what you do find is um, in, uh, in the, you know, the federal uh, legal system, the way it works is that the, they have circuits. So the whole country is divided up into these, these sections called circuits. The, I'm in the Eighth Circuit and the Eighth Circuit has a decision that came down and they said, as far as fortune telling, they said, if you want to hire a fortune teller, that's your business. It's not the business of the government to, to be telling people what to believe. So you can't make it illegal. So you then you can basically you can fight about it, but typically these statutes that make it illegal to be an astrologer, they they get tossed out. 
because it's 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 self-evidently fraudulent, right? And to charge somebody for something that's self-evidently fraudulent is clearly we should be able to make that illegal. And the court's like, you know what? In the typical decisions, they say, you know what? It's like, yeah, it's ridiculous, but people get to think what they want. So that's another useful thing about the First Amendment. And um, it's funny because I talked to somebody in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas has a licensing statute for astrologers, and you just have to pay a fee and do these. Po- you have to post your rates and that. And I thought, boy, that would be cool—a licensed Las Vegas astrologer. That sounds kind of cool. I've got a license, yeah. um, so that's you know. But this is the reality where a lot of people are like, you know, science and religion are coming together. And I'm like, they're not. Okay, it's impossible. You know, science. The basis of science, since the since the, the quote Enlightenment, is the destruction of superstition and the absolute refusal to acknowledge anything other than mechanistic causality. You know, and quantum mm. mechanics. It's like there's no personalities there. It's not like they have quarks or whatever. They're think that that's an individual. That's a person. It's just a, it's just a thing. You know, it's like or whatever the quantum stuff is. You know, it's like it's a, a wave particle. You know, abstract whatever they are. But um, they refuse to let anything in there about personalities. Not at all. One of the funny things about personalities is I was reading this book about um, evolution. It was talking about uh, pine trees, right? Because conifers evolved before the angiosperms, which are the ones with the flowering trees, right? So the flowering trees have a lot of adva- evolutionary advantages. So the, the guys writing the book, he says, you know what happened is that they, you know, the, the pine trees are getting out-evolved. So what they decided to do was to go up on the mounds and go in fire-prone areas. And so that was a that was a good strategy for them, and and if you push the guy on it, he'd be, he'd be like, oh well, there's no intelligence there, but like there is an intelligence that operates at the pine tree level, right? And they were able to collectively work that way. And if you conceptualize it as a person, that's a good way to interact with or think about how the operation of that is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because in Buddhism, you know, the whole one of the key tenets of Buddhism is anatta, no self, right? But it is kind of useful as a functional thing to relate to to humans, you know, as people, right? Or like your cat, you know, or a robot, you know, that's actually is not a bad sort of conceptual model. But, you know, like I said, mother nature, it's like, that doesn't really exist. It's like, well, neither do you, right? If you're in a Buddhist view, there's no self, you know, this is just, this is an illusory idea that there's a of continuity, right? There's, there's some algorithms running here, right? And you can, but it's not at a functional way. It's not a bad labeling. But that's what I'd say about it again is that that, that can't be accepted. The, the personhood of anything other than like even a human. It's like that's the whole Victorian gentleman thing. Well, you know, I'm a white Englishman, an upper class. So anyone who's not a white English upper class person isn't really human, you know? Now we've mm-hmm. expanded that to other Homo sapiens. I always love that Homo sapiens sapiens. It's not just the wise man, it's the wise wise man. That's our <laughs> official name, is the wise wise man. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Well, you know, nuclear weapons, genocide, climate change, we're very wise. Obviously, we got our act together here. So, but that's <laughs> that's what I would say about it is that, you know, the what I like about, you know, for example, you talk about um, angels, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a useful interface, right? And, 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 and so that's what I would say about it. And the ultimate reality, we're always modeling. And so that's the key is what are your models? What are your worldview? And it's not wrong to have particular worldview or particular models, but you do need to understand what they are. And like I said, if so that's what I found is just like I wanted to have a, a coherent philosophy that was in accordance with my worldview and my practice. And that's why the traditional stuff is very 
very nice because the traditional worldview is a spiritual worldview. Every society before our society had a spiritual worldview. They saw the spiritual as primary, the material as, you know, this like it's a result of the spiritual, that it's controlled by the spiritual, that it's less perfect than the spiritual. And so, um, you know, that's that works with magic and astrology. You know, that makes sense. Otherwise, you're just you're just kind of you you've got this, like I said, disconnect that's that's problematic. So, so that's what I would say about it. I mean, the Hellenistic is like, I think it has a lot of potential. If somebody was like, I'm going to get into the Greek reality, right? I'm going to do theurgy. I'm going to go full hog. I'm going to, you know, I've got the whole, you know, that I'm going to do all the spiritual stuff. This is real. You know what I mean? There are gods, you know, hmm. astrology really works. And I'm going to hundred percent use Hellenistic technique. Cool. Like Vedic. That's what they do. Right. I mean, hmm. they have a traditional philosophy, traditional methodology and a whole system set up for it. So Vedic, that's cool, you know, but taking little bits and pieces of it and like, oh, I'm a Hellenistic astrologer because I use spear carrying or whatever, you know, whatever the, the du jour technique is, because people will throw this stuff at me and like, I don't know anything about that because that's not, it's not from my, it's like, am I, I Bach, I'm like Renaissance, you're asking me about a Raga. Like, mm. I don't know about Ragas. I, I know they exist, but I don't know anything about them. But if I'm going to play Bach, I can't start playing Ragas too. That's, you just... It's not wrong. It's just you're out. You're so, off, so far outside that modality that you're no longer in the modality. Mm -hmm. So, but modern is open to everything. Modern astrology, you can use anything you want. It's like I said, like a Lego. You just plug it in. You can just plug anything in, and they all work by themselves. Except they don't really work by themselves, you know. And that's another yeah. idea: is that the technique works itself, right? It's scientific. It's it just you know you, if you find I found this new technique, it predicts everything. It's perfect. It does everything perfectly. And then it doesn't quite work for me and then never works for anybody else. And then I go out to find the next one. When the reality of it is, is that it's, it's, it's a lot like, I mean, I would look at it like a radiologist, right? Because the chart is like their MRI and the radiologist has a tremendous amount of experience and built up intuition as well as this conceptual knowledge and information. And that's what the diet, like a medical diagnosis, that's not scientific at all. That's got a tremendous amount of intuition built into it based on experience as well and judgment, right? And that's not scientific, you know? And so, because it's not like, oh, I put this electron together with like a chemical reaction, I'm always going to get the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of the, 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 the astrologer's experience and intuition plays an incredibly important role in prediction. And so, um, and it can be developed too. I mean, that's the right. thing that I've noticed over the period is that you also kind of need a, a, a little bit of a talent for it. I mean, there are people that just can't do it for whatever reason, and um, but you can develop that, but you need both. Like I said, you need to have a good conceptual system and information that you're dealing with, and you also then you need to develop that intuition. And those together allow you to make accurate prediction. And that's that's really important too. Does um do, does your astrological practice is is that the way that you develop your intuition or do you have other practices as well? First step is stop doubting that there's intuition, right? If you're coming from a stamp a nihilist standpoint where nothing everything's meaningless, right? Then that's going to undermine you all the way. It's like if you don't trust yourself, if you don't trust that it's even possible philosophically, then you're you're screwed. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. So you need to be in a mindset and a worldview where it's actually possible. Um, and then, um, then the then the next thing I think is to not is to accept that you don't necessarily know what's going on because I get a lot of that like Mercury retrograde. It's like yeah, after the fact, 
you know, or like that's a Hitler's chart is another one too. Oh, look, Normandy, we explained everything, blah, blah, blah. Like you already know the outcome, right? Yeah. You know, so that is not astrology. That's not predictive, but that's what people passes for astrology 99% of the time. So to me, the gold standard is this. It's like you have a, you have a chart of an unknown situation. It could be a horary chart, natal chart, whatever you're looking at. And then what you do is you look at that chart and using your intuition and that accumulated knowledge, you make a prediction. You do that prediction in writing and you put the astrological factors too is, is the, the way to do it. And you write that down. Then you see what the effects are, right? That's the gold standard. And then you do that about 500 times. Now you can do that for anything. I mean, if you're a psychic, do that as well. I mean, if you're picking up, you're like, okay, this is the impressions I'm picking up, write it down, right? Before you know the outcome. But anything where, oh, it happened and I'm, oh, now I'm looking at the chart. I had a great experiment I do with that. It was, it was amusing. I had this chart and it was very heavy, Scorpio rising, lots of plants in the eighth house. And I said, oh, it's like 1880. I said, this is a serial killer. And people are like, oh yeah, Jack the Ripper. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, actually it's Gandhi's chart. <laughs> and so the reaction to that was like, well, Gandhi's like a serial killer. And it was just like, I can make any chart fit anything as long as I know the outcome. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the truth. And so it's not predictive. You know, you got to predict in advance. So that's like I said, same thing with the, the, like Mercury retrograde. A big problem with Mercury retrograde is that Mercury retrograde is retrograde for everybody on the entire planet. So everybody's messed up for that period of time. There's no communications to get through, nothing. Everyone's car breaks down. No trains are on time. It's like, no, it's like, it's impossible. What's going to happen? Well, I don't know, but it's bad. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, that, that's, I did a video on the functions of astrology. And again, I don't want to be too pejorative about it, but predictions only one. I mean, one of the major functions of astrology is giving you a false sense of knowing what's going on and then reassurance, you know, because people will come to you with a horror and they're like, when am I going to get a job? And I'll say to them, look, I could say you're not getting a job. Are you, I mean, is that going to help you? And I mean, half the time people are like, what? But I have to get a job. I'm like, this is not of 900 psychic. This is actually going to accurately predict what's really likely to happen, right? And mm. so if it helps you to know you're not going to get a job, that might be helpful. But if you're like, I'm freaked out and I want to feel better, this is not what you want for that. And so sometimes you have to put that in people's you know, consciousness that that's what's mm. going on. Of course, it ruins a reassurance reading if they don't think it's predictive. If you knew it was reassurance, that it wouldn't be very reassuring. So, so you got to get into right. this kind of unconscious mental weirdness for that. But it can be helpful to people because I've had people say, like I said, it's not infrequent for me to say, do you really want to pay 85 bucks for me to tell you no? Is that going to help you? And they're like, eh, I'm not going to ask. And I said, that's perfectly legitimate too. There's lots of questions I don't ask. There's lots of divinations mm -hmm. I don't do because I don't want to know the answer. You know. Mm -hmm. So, But if you do the divination, you got to respect it. That's the thing. Yes. Don't try to find a way around it. Don't keep asking the question until you get a result you want. That's a reassurance reading, you know? And that's not, you know, for that, get counseling. Talk to your friends. You know, I'm freaked out. Help me out. You know, tell me everything's going to be okay. It's like, that's fine. But you don't want to go to your doctor, right? And you've been had a test mm -hmm. for cancer and have him try to make you feel better, even though, yeah, you're going to die. You want to know what the answer is. You know, that's that's their function. So that's what I say about horror is that that's horror will tell you what's going to happen. And it's often negative. Because people are not going to ask unless there's there's you know problems. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If if your yeah. relationship's going great, you're not going to ask a worry about it. Typically, only when there start to be problems are you going to ask. And in which case, yeah, it could be they're going to break up. So so that's what I would say about that. But the worry was if you do a lot of them. When I started getting, it's funny because I I've gotten I had much more writer's block. You know, before I did five thousand worries, and now it's like I'm like because I trust myself. 
Like if stuff comes up to what I'll do, here's how I do the orrery. Okay. So someone asked the question, right? And I have a sort of mechanical way of just listing out the relevant factors. Because in a horary chart, you don't look at the whole chart. You just look at specific pieces of it. So for example, if someone's asking about a marriage, I would look at the first house for the person who's asking the question, the seventh house for the person they're asking about, and then the rulers of those houses, and then the planets in those houses. And then if they have aspects, I might look at that. But I'll just write that down. And then as I'm writing that out, the chart starts to talk to me. And then I start seeing the underlying patterning. And I'd say the biggest problem people have is that they, they'll know a little astrology and they'll start asking about some individual factor. It's like, it's not about the individual factor, it's the over patterning, it's the synthesis. It's not an analytical process of breaking it down to the smallest little piece that carries the meaning. The meaning is in the synthesis. The meaning is look at the under overlying patterns. And there's going to be some noise in there. There's going to be stuff that doesn't fit that patterning. And, and just be able to see that pattern, also being objective about it. So that's why a lot of times people want to know for themselves. I learned Hori, so I got to ask about my girlfriend, right? It's like you're, it's very, very hard because you got to be like Mr. Spock. You have to be completely emotionless. You have to be full of emotion to ask the question. And then you have to flip over to having no emotion at all to be able to interpret it. Right. So it's really hard. And that's another problem that people run across. But do it again and again and again and start trusting yourself. And I'll have stuff like I'll do my analysis and I'll be like, you know what? I feel like this, you know, and I'll say that. It's like, and that's how I, I'll say the chart says this and my impression is this. You know what I mean? So that kind of mm. differentiates between, but even in my looking at the chart, there's an intuit, there's always an intuition on a judgment level with it. And so the attorney stuff, it, see the, the model for modern astrology is a psychologist, right? It's psychological astrology. And if you go to the psychologist, they're not going to tell you, oh, you're probably not going to recover from this, or you're probably not going to, you know, a third of people don't, you know, get better from therapy, right? They're not going to say that because they want to give everyone a chance. They want to be upbeat and modern astrology is upbeat. It's all upbeat except for void, of course, moon and retrograde Mercury, which are like dis catastrophically disastrous. They have to carry all the weight of the negativity because the rest of it is all positive. Whereas mm -hmm. medieval Renaissance, because it's trying to be an accurate model of reality, has to have everything in between. It has to have everything from the most positive to the to the most negative, and then all the every all the little shades of gray in between. Because it's set up to be predictive, you know. So that's it. Just mm -hmm. the tools are there. Whereas like a, a psychological reading. You don't need to do. I mean, when I do a psychological reading. I'm not so much focused on the the essential dignities. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. The quality comes through a lot. Like if you have Saturn, then you have a Saturn quality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The fact that Saturn's in Leo. I just did a reading the other just recently, like today. Saturn was in Leo, and I still did the Saturn straight up. They were talking about spiritual stuff. Well, Saturn gives you like asceticism, solitary spiritual practice, meditation, Zen, stuff like that. And then because it's in Leo, it's in detriment. I'm like, you could have spiritual adversity, you know, problems, you know, that'll mess up your spiritual life doubts. But there's a lot more of a quality, qualitative part to it. Whereas in Hori, it's like, if you had Saturn and Leo as your significant, I'm like, you're not getting what you want. Uh, it's going to be hard to get what you want when you're that afflicted. It's going to be really hard to accomplish and think, or it's going to be bad for you. You're like, well, I enjoy going on this trip and I'm in Saturn and Saturn and Leo, I would say, should I go on the trip and you're sad? And Eli said, it may be that probably you will just, you could well decide I don't want to go because you're so negative. It also could be that you're like, I can't go because of my personal situation. You'll get sick or there's some kind of thing stopping you, or possibly it won't be good for you to go because look how messed up it is. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be, oh, sad and Leo, that'll be, it'll be a happy trip because you'll be all enthused. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not how we do it. You know, which isn't to say that Saturn and Leo in your chart wouldn't, couldn't indicate that stuff. I mean, I would look at Saturn and Leo in your chart. As, as showing, um, that's like a shadow side stuff. You know what I mean? That's some, that's some, a lot of anger there. 
You know what I mean? Saturn and Leo is like really Leo is like all kind of kind of excitable anyway. And Saturn and Leo is in detriment. So that's going to show a lot of the negative negative side of that kind of stuff. It's like somebody who's stubborn, dominating, aggressive, and kind of you know, bad judgment at times too. So there's like mm -hmm. it is dignified. It does have some triplicity, but it's still gonna be there's a lot of negative. That's only a hard that would be a hard planet to deal with in your natal chart in a lot of ways, you know, just because of that, you know, from a psych from a psychological standpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. There's a nuance to all this stuff. I mean, a lot of times people are like, well, I know natal, even in medieval Renaissance, well, I know natal so I can do horary. It's like, they're different. You have to you have to switch into a different model and you have to be aware of that. It does, everything doesn't equal everything. That's what I get a lot of times people are like, like for example, talismans. What I do is, to, and this is the talisman compatibility is like, who knows? I mean, everybody's got a different way of doing it, but it's not a traditional way of doing it. My philosophy is sort of like, if the planet is well dignified in your chart, you already have a good relationship with that planet. So the talismans will be good for you. I and mean, they'll probably have an easy, like you have an uncle that you really get along with. Great. No problem. If it's unafflicted, then it won't be that, you know, you'll, you can do use it. It's sort of like your left arm's weak. If it's afflicted, then it's like you kind of have a bad relationship with that planet, which isn't to say it's going to be automatically disaster, but you might want to think about maybe do some divination, right? Because then I'll say that and then people are like, well, but Saturn's in the third house. Blah, blah, blah. I said, that's, we don't use that for this. We just use this thing. Like, well, you know, I like the Saturn talisman because it's got this on the Ascendant. I said, that's a bit like me saying, you know, my, my grandfather's name was Saturn. So that's kind of cool. And I'm, you know, I'm like, it's the synchronicity, but people think that, oh, they can make this stuff up. And then it's like, they're like Galileo and they've discovered some amazing objective principle about astrology. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, it's sort of like, the problem is there's no way to call you on it. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing with the, with like, like with talismans. One of the things I notice with talismans now with the people who are doing astrological magic is they'll, They'll do this chart and they'll do the election and they're like, oh, I know what happened. I mean, four weeks after I got the talisman, my gra grandfather's barber fell down the stairs. So that was the talisman's fault. And I can look at the chart and see what caused it. I'm like, you don't know what caused that. And you can't look at the chart and say what caused what, what the result of it is. People are like, oh, I'm sure that's what happened. And now I know you've got that in your talisman chart. So that's a bad talisman. I'm like, what? So there's a lot of problems with sort of a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a bit like, you know, you, you know, like thinking that you can like go online and lurk for a while and then, okay, now I'm a 747 pilot. I read, I read, I read a book about it and I asked some questions online. Now I can be a 747 pilot. It's like, no, I mean, this stuff is really, I mean, this is the rocket science of the Renaissance. I mean, right. this is very complex. I mean, um, it took me years to learn the stuff and then the actual practice of it as well is it just, it takes a lot of practice to be good at this stuff. And so that's what I would say about it is that, you know, it really, it's, which isn't to say that, you know, you can't pick up a certain amount and it can be useful, but, you know, I, I, it's amazing to me how much people are sure they understand. They'll be telling me, they'll explain stuff to me. I got a lot of people explaining stuff to me. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's, great. that's cool. <laughs> so uh, you wrote a book called The Celestial Way, The Spiritual Path of the Stars and Planets. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book and, and, uh, I guess the, the course of practice that it kind of covers. Sure. I mean, this is, like I said, my whole beginning with this is there's this intertwined nature of this, you know, what people would consider to be a spiritual path, right? Like Buddhism, like Zen or whatever, and the Sufism and then astrology. And like I said, you know, the astrology is applied spirituality. So I started thinking about, well, can I do it as a spiritual path? Now, here's the thing. My spiritual path has been 
what I would call Anana yoga. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there's in Indian sort of philosophical practices that different paths or different yogas. And so, for example, the Nana yoga is the wisdom path, the inquiry path. Bhakti yoga is devotional path, right? Love, devotion, devotion to a guru, devotion to the, you know, um, you know, in love. Um, you have um, Raja yoga, which is meditation and, you know, pranayama and things like that. Uh, mantra yoga, you know, you have the Vajrayana stuff, you know, in the Buddhism, the tantric stuff. So these are all different methodologies. So the the one that I followed most to the, the furthest is the non-yoga, which is the inquiry stuff, which is the closest modern analog to it is modern non-duality. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Um, yeah. You know, like Adyashanti and people like that. And so, but that doesn't have anything to do with astrology. I mean, astrology is more like a tantric sort of thing. That's what I would say. And we don't have any public Western tantric spiritual paths that are effective. I mean, the non-dual is very effective. I mean, that works. Um, so I was like, wow, there's kind of a gap here. So what I would say about it is that I have not, the experience is that, and this is this is wrong for to me to say this is not incorrect. If I say I experience Kensho, this is not, this is a, a messed up way. Because Kensho in the Rinzai Zen is basically a taste of enlightenment. And what that is, is, is the experience of no self. So I can't say I, the Chris Warnock ego has experienced no self. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's as close as I can point to. For Because I say to people, you have no self, people are like, what are you out of your freaking mind? Because that is our most basic, you know, sense is our sense of self, right? Sense of awareness. Yet everybody has experienced no self. You go to sleep at night and you go into the deep, the deep dream sleep, not the REM sleep, which is the dream sleep, but the deep dreamless sleep, then you're in a state of no self. And people have all sorts of no self experiences on psychedelic drugs and just as a you know part of their daily life, you know, people will spontaneously have that sort of stuff happen to them. So, um, like for example, you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't where you don't know where you are and who you are. And you have to, ooh, oh yeah, I'm so I'm at I'm at the conference, I'm in Kansas City, you know? And so that mm -hmm. kind of there's there's constant gaps in the self. It's like a like a cartoon. You know, cartoon is still pictures that are you know, 32 frames or 64 frames per second, right? And by by doing still, 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 but quickly, there's an illusion of movement and there's an illusion of continuity. And that's what the self is, is that we have this set of experiences, there's experience and there's this, there's a sense of continuity and that's the ego self. So, you know, that's, but but I'm like, okay, what's the, what's the connection between astrology then and that and non-yoga? And there wasn't one, but I said, you know what I can do? Is that we are so spiritually impoverished, we don't even know what spirituality is, and so that the the celestial way is very heavily focused on worldview, right? And so we have to make the preliminary preparatory steps that a person in a traditional society wouldn't have to, because they wouldn't have to ha worry about having an experience of the spiritual. They could talk to somebody who had one. Like, I mean, if you have a Kundalini experience or you have a no self experience without any context you'll be considered to be insane. If you went to a psychiatrist and explained that to them, then they would think you're losing your mind, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a cultural context for it. So a lot of it is to give it a cultural context and to explain what is spirituality and then not as a concept to be played with, but as something to be experienced, right? And then the astrological magic then is a way of, I have what I call devotional practice. And so devotional practice is it's almost like Catholic, you know, like I venerate the the celestial angels, you know, I mean, I'm burning incest to them and invoking them, not because I want something, but just because I'm like, I'm honoring them, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's how I do it, which is not the only way to do it. I mean, it's perfectly fine to say, okay, 
please give me X. You know, I'm doing this just because I want this and give it to me. I mean, that's a more magical approach. They blend together. But I have taken a more devotional approach. And so the book explains, like I said, a lot on spirituality, having that experience, and then gives these devotional practices. And for example, the daily planetary practice. So each of the days of the week is ruled by the planet. It's where it comes from. I mean, the week, the seven-day week is planetary. That's the origin of the week. So today's Tuesday, I'm actually wearing wearing red for Mars, um, and I would then invoke Mars and light a candle and incense and do a have a short little one-page you know, uh, invocation that I do, but I've been doing that for 20 years, every single day. And it's like, this is a practice that, I mean, you can invoke the planet and do a full chart election. That's much more powerful. That's a high, what I call a high intensity interaction. Daily planetary practice is a low intensity and the power comes from the repetition, you know, so that I'm doing it for 20 years. I have a really strong relationship with the celestial angels because I've had such a, you know, a regular practice of doing that. So that's it. Planetary charity, this is from Vedic astrology. I adapted it. Basically, you know, if you have a, a, a planet that's afflicted or you can use it for any planet, they all appreciate it. You do charity. And what you do is you find a person or a thing that's ruled by that. Like, for example, Saturn's easy, homeless people all over the place. And on Saturday, you make a vow that you're going give to a, give a donation to a homeless person, you know, whatever, whatever the number of Saturn is. I'd have to look it up. You know, there's various numbers associated with the planets. Um, and so, and then you, so that you make a vow and then you keep that vow. So Saturday, Saturn hour, you go give a donation to a homeless person. And a lot of times what people do is online. I mean, if you're in, if you're in India, you could go to a Jupiter temple and give it to a Jupiter priest, you know, but here we could, you know, you have to do it like a, like a university or something or like educational donation or something like that, but that's what it is. And it's, it's, it's very selfless. You're not trying to get anything, you know, you just want to get along better with the planet, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's that's a methodology for doing that. So those are things. And then I talk about um, Picatrix, which is the 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 key grimoire for astrological magic. It was written in 1000 AD, translated into Latin, 1256, the court of Alfonso the Wise. And that's kind of the Bible of astrological magic for the mid- Middle Ages and Renaissance. Has this passage that talks about perfect nature. And perfect nature is kind of like a guardian angel. Right, but it's also the the spirit of the person themselves. So they talk about perfect nature united with the planet that rules them. So it's a very astrological kind of angelic thing. So it's in a sense separate, but it also it's your higher self. And so there's this whole passage about the the, the perfect nature, and then there's an astrological ritual for getting in touch with it. And so that's kind of you know, and I haven't used that. I haven't been able to say, oh, I've become enlightened through that. But that's what I would say is that's your, that's the thing. And I have a, a talk in the book about astrological magic and other traditions, you know, where it came from the Haranian Sabians and then also in the, in the Japanese Buddhist tradition, the astrological magic plays not a, ma- a major role, but it's definitely integrated into it. So that was interesting too, is to see that if you have a similar worldview and come from a similar background, you do the same sort of, I mean, what I end up doing this devotional practice is very similar to the kind of stuff that they have in Mikyo, which is esoteric Buddhism, the, the Shingon tantric Buddhism. Um, and so, um, you know, if you come from the same background, you're going to do the same thing, you know, and you're not, no one's really unique. You know what I mean? We're unique, like a sunflake, a uh, snowflake, but you know, those, they do actually kind of look the same. And, um, so that's that's what I would say about it is that it's very useful to be grounded in a spiritual tradition, right? If but everyone thinks they can invent the reinvent the wheel. I'm just as smart as Muhammad and Plato, and I'll just make it up on the spot. And then it ends up being like everybody else. I mean, you're coming from the same background with the same material. You're going to come up with something that basically is the same as everybody else. Um, mm. 
So the traditional stuff, but again, you can, I mean, there's no, that's, that's a preference thing. That's a me, you know, ice cream, you know, chocolate, vanilla kind of thing. I'm like, if you want to try to make it up, go ahead, you know, mm-hmm. but um, the key is, I think, to be focusing on, you know, what is it, you know, like I said, it's easy to, I do magic, but in what context, you know what I mean? And it's like, I like to do it in a spiritual context. And I think the spiritual understanding enriches everything I do. You know, it's like understanding the the background of stuff. I mean, as a lawyer, people are like, what does that do with astrology? I'm like, it's, it's, it's also used a tremendous amount of judgment and also has ultimately a spiritual basis to it, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of like justice, right? Um, that has a very strong spiritual component to it when you really think about it. And, um, you know, that's if, if you're doing it in that way. You know, a lot of people aren't. I mean, they're just trying to get what they want. <laughs> Problem with yeah. the legal stuff, but nevertheless, there is a spiritual component to it potentially, and there was traditionally. So that's another thing that I've been kind of interested in and, and have integrated. So I consider my life to be very integrated. I don't have a lot. I try not to be a different person when I'm a lawyer than when I'm an astrologer. You know what I mean? It's just in the same philosophy and the same sense of of things. Uh, really imbues everything that I do. I try not to be compartmentalized. So that's. That's great. Um, so there's a, a canned question that I ask everyone, uh, you know, obviously as occultists and practitioners and astrologers uh, listening to this, we love books. So are are there, for anybody that's listened to this podcast today and uh, kind of interested in, in the things that you've had to say, um, could you recommend uh, three books in particular that you think um, would be reliable guides to getting into this stuff? And by all means, list your own stuff too, as well. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like you know, the three hermetic arts are alchemy, astrology, and uh, magic. And so, I totally respect alchemy, but it's one of those things that I was never had a calling for. You know, mm. I mean, I've I've sort of, and so, you know, I've got a couple books that I read about just to get myself a kind of a grounding, so I have some basic understanding of it, right? But, and so that's what I would say is that there are, if you want to read books about things, then you can. It's useful as far as giving you some maybe a general background of it. But I do get the sense of people that think they can learn it from books. It's like which because mm. I say which book should I read to learn astrology? In fact, there is a book. This is the only book you need to learn astrology. There you go. That's the book. Go buy that book. You know. So because um, and then and then there is not a substitute in my view if you're into medieval Renaissance from taking a course. I mean, I did that. I had a teacher. You know, and that's what I would say about it. Is it's like the people that I've seen. There's some some self-taught people, and it's like they kind of got there. They, for example, in astrological magic. But they lack the the predictive stuff, so they don't have the fullest understanding of the of the subject. I mean, they only have an electional astrological magic approach, and so even the people that have deeply gotten into it and studied, right, and practiced it, they're lacking things because they're not having that full background. So that's what I would say about it. I mean, if you're interested in the in like you know astrological magic, just from a from the medieval Renaissance standpoint, I have a book called Secrets of Planetary Magic. Yep, it gives that. a nice, it's a nice introduction. That's what I would say as an introduction. Um, you know, but there's not a lot of other introductory stuff out there. I mean, the Celestial Way is interesting if you're interested in the spiritual stuff. I'm going to pushing my own books. Um, and then I have a Mansions of the Moon book too. And those are all kind of interesting just to kind of whet your appetite. But I really do not subscribe to the idea that you could learn, you know, like I said, it's armchair. I mean, you can right. read a thousand books and all you did is read a bunch of books. And again, if you still have an atheistic materialistic mindset, it's just bouncing off you. It's just entertainment stuff. I mean, you need to go do the stuff. And if you're going to do it in this level, you're going to need to have a teacher. It's just too complex. Um, and that's, you know, 
that's that's what i would say about it so it's like it's um you know i think that there i mean again like an alchemy i've read a couple books like it was a great book by a chemist you know he's mm -hmm. like a uh, and he a laboratory chemist and he started replicating some a lot of the stuff and so that was really interesting he was very sympathetic to it and very open to the spiritual side of it and then actually did the laboratory stuff and i was like that was a really cool book and so mm -hmm. that was interesting for me to read that but I didn't read that thinking, okay, now I'm an alchemist, you know, and right. now I understand all about it, or now I can do it, you know. It's like, oh, I'll try something. It's like I just can't imagine being able to do that without having being taught how to do it. It's just way too complex. And the same thing with the medieval renaissance. I mean, if you want to do modern, that's fine. You can pick that up in 15 minutes. I mean, this is not something that's very hard to do. Um, the natal the natal psychological stuff, I mean, that's again something that's gonna take effort, it's gonna take a lot of practice. You know, and like, say, let's say you took one of my courses, like a horary course, you would still need to do, it's funny because my courses are sort of set up for professional astrologers. I mean, I don't, not that a lot of my students do that, but that's kind of my approach is like, you could take this, but you would still need to do 50 charts before you'd probably be ready to do it on your own. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. there's a lot of practice. It's like a carpentry. If you took a, say, I want to be a carpenter, which book should I read to become a carpenter? Like you can't become a carpenter reading a book. I, I, I'm a, I'm a carpenter actually, so I agree with you. Could you right? <laughs> Could you imagine that if someone's like, yeah, I read I read I read a thousand books and now I'm a carpenter. It's yeah. like, and they never picked up a chisel and never picked up a piece of wood. How no would they do that? Yeah. You know? And how did you learn? Did you learn by your what kind of carpenter you do? Do you do just like house carpentry or uh, I do making? I do all all sorts of carpentry. Um, I apprenticed. Like yeah. I mean, I didn't. I have. I mean, I. The thing that I did, I was super green. I went out and bought a book and I didn't read it. I literally, I spent the first uh, three months digging holes and pouring cement, to be honest with you. <laughs> so. but, th but this is the traditional method. And this is the thing. It's interesting because I, I studied, because um, they split history up to ancient, uh, medieval and modern, right? So I studied, I actually studied Renaissance history at St. Andrews in, in Scotland. And they still kind of had the attitude that you're going to be a professional historian. So we did sort of on-the-job training for professional historians, which is what we did lectures and we like did discussion groups and you know stuff like that. And it's like because that's what you do as a professor, right? But see, that model has been expanded to everything. So now, if you want to be a fireman, you're being taught to how to be a professor, mm -hmm. right? Like I've seen like PhD in turf management, and I bet they sit in lectures. And it's like, what the fuck? I mean, lawyers' law has been totally ruined by law schools. I mean, law school. I came out of law school and I hated it. I thought I was it was loathsome, but the practice of law I really enjoy. And so, again, in the old days when you were a lawyer, you would apprentice and you would you would learn and read law and with another lawyer, and then you would watch them as they did all the work and learn how to yep. do it that way. And I would say that like maybe like an, a year of classes, maybe or like you know, but that's what I would suggest for people. But see, a lot of people that are lawyers, they're just an account with a law degree. I mean, it doesn't they don't actually practice. So, but definitely there's a lot of things that have been ruined by turning it into an academic thing, which like I said, it's great for that. It's on, it actually is on the job training apprenticeship if you're a professor, right? Mm -hmm. but it's not a very effective methodology for, for teaching anything else. And so, but that's like the educational industrial complex is a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother, you know, topic, but I yeah. luckily see my stuff's all outside of it. I mean, my students come to me because they want to learn. That's right. I have the best students because they're only and my courses are fun and funny too because there's no deadlines and no tests, so people are always like saying, "Oh, I didn't get the thing in on time." I'm like, "There is no deadline, you know. Yeah. Do it when you need. Get it done when you feel like getting it done." And there's no tests either. I mean, what I do is just make sure people have mastered the material I want to cover in that lesson, and then they go on to the next. And if they haven't mastered, then we keep working on it until they get it. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who actually took uh, your, your course, spoke very, very highly of it. Where can, so people can take that at uh, renaissanceastrology.com? Yeah. Your... If you go to renaissanceastrology.com at the top of the page, there's, um, you know, talismans, readings, courses, books, all those links are at the very top. And if you follow those links, you can get the complete information about it. But um, it just depends. I'm not for everybody. I'm a very Saturnine person. Um, I'm kind of like, I can get cranky. You know, um, I don't, you know, it's not like, oh, I learn as much from my students as they learn from me. It's like, no, I'm, I'm definitely the teacher. I'm kind of like a, a bit of a, of a, um, you know, a, like I said, a little cranky at the same time, you know, I'm at the top of my game right now. You know what I mean? And so yeah. if you want to learn from the guy who started the ball rolling, then that's good. And it just depends on where you're coming from. It's like, again, just because we don't mix with our personalities doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or anything wrong with me. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just sort of the thing, but I teach the courses kind of like a graduate school thing. I mean, it, it's funny that I'm as down mm. on that sort of stuff, but that's basically a lot of reading and writing. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not the only way to learn, yeah. you know? And if I get people, sometimes I get people that are a little dyslexic or have different learning stuff. And then it's kind of interesting for me to adjust to the different learning stuff. That's been really fun for me in some ways is to figure out how to explain stuff or drop things or add things on to help people out. And um, some people like, you know, my wife's a little like this. She has Scorpio Mercury. She either knows it completely or doesn't know it at all. It's interesting. And there's some, there's people like that. So they have different sort of learning styles. And that's been a really interesting thing for me is to kind of adjust to the different styles of learning and things that people have. But the courses, and then people say, what about the lectures? I'm like, there are no lectures. I just like, to me, that's like an extremely inefficient way of learning. You sit up and you, you read off your notes and they take your notes down. Like, what's the point of that? And, <laughs> and the same thing of having everybody together in a class at the same rate. It's all like I said, industrial complex. And I'm like, this is like an old school, like correspondence course. And you go at your own pace and you learn. Mm. As fa and I won't let people go faster than one lesson every, every three weeks because people want to get it all done in like 15 minutes. I'm like, the, the, it has to sink in. You have to right. you have to get all that stuff. You know, it, it takes a long time for the stuff to really under you know to do. We start off with worldview, and I have people. I have this guy, and he's funny because he's always emailing. He's a student. And he's a great student, but he keeps emailing me saying, "I'm confused by this. I'm confused by that." And I keep saying to him, "Because you have an atheistic materialistic worldview, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to you because it's it doesn't make any sense in terms of the causality or the philosophy. Mm. Not because there's an individual problem with the technique, right? But that's mm. your root problem." And that's hard. I mean, he's really working hard on that, and he still is having a little bit of a problem with it. So that's what I would say. Coming back to the thing I started with is that that worldview stuff is so key, and it's so it's it's really it's kind of my mission. The other mission I have is that that the, this idea of flavors and, and preferences comes like whatever you do your way, I'll do my way. Those are both valid, and we just got to jump out of this idea that there's only one right way of doing things, and everyone else is wrong. It's like hey. I mean, my methodology is just the way I do it, right? And if, if someone else doesn't want to do it that way, that is perfectly fine and perfectly valid. There's lots, even within the tradition, there's lots of different mm -hmm. ways. And you don't have to be in the tradition. Like if you want to do something outside that or want to do it a different way, that's perfectly fine too. And so we just need to have a lot more tolerance of, of diversity and of variant views because I always end up in the minority. So I, that's, I kind of, from self-preservation, have to kind of insist on, you know, everyone gets to their own view or I was going to yeah. get squashed because that's what always seems to happen. All right. Well, Chris, Christopher Warnock, thank you so much for, for taking a little bit of your day to sit and talk with me. Um, I really loved everything that you have to say. And uh, I think this is going to be a great 
uh, conversation for people to hear. I think it's going to definitely be something that a lot of people uh, need to hear and will benefit from. I personally, my the, the people I learned the most from actually were um, a little on the cranky side, but got shit done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so, just, so. it is what it is. It's one of those things. It's like I said, you know, if if you don't like walnut ice cream, you don't like walnut ice cream. And it's like, that's the way it goes. And it's like, what's nice about now is that 20 years ago, I was the only one. Now there's so many people doing it. So there's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of people teaching too. So, you know, if, if, if there's, for whatever reason, you can find somebody that suits your style. And I think that's, what's really wonderful about this is that, you know, I wouldn't hate to be the only one and I would hate to be like the Pope of astrological magic. That would be horrific because that would mean that there wasn't a lot of other options. You know what I mean? And so that's, like I said, I just think that it's the way that this has grown and exploded is just really exciting. And we're living in an exciting time. You know, I get up and I'm cranky about this and that. But I'm like, if there wasn't all these people interested in it, you wouldn't have, if you didn't have 10,000 people interested in it on a sort of fluffy bunny level, you wouldn't have space for the one person who's really serious about it. And we're getting an mm-hmm. increasing number of people that are really serious about it and taking it in really interesting directions. So I think it's a really exciting time to be to be practicing any kind of esoteric stuff and magic and everything. And it's a, I'm just happy to be able to have to continue to be able to play a role. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy to have you on on my podcast. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. All right, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm.